Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Psalm 127, verses 1 through 5, these are the words of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. This morning, uh, we're going to bring this whole series in Proverbs to a close. We've covered a whole lot of ground up to this point or over the past few weeks. We've looked at the purpose of the Proverbs. Uh, we've looked at, uh, we've discussed wisdom, uh, what wisdom is. We've learned where wisdom comes from. We talked a lot about proverbial wisdom. We've talked a lot about how the, the Proverbs are... Uh, or wisdom literature is a collection of sayings more than it is a particular type of authorship. And specifically, we've looked at how we can apply all of these wisdom sayings and what they're about. Uh, the concepts that we've explored over the past couple of weeks include pride, humility, foolishness, uh, foolishness, and a little bit more foolishness. Uh, we've looked at how wisdom is connected with kindness, and that means faithfulness. We've looked at the definition of that. Today, we're going to wrap up by uh, expanding on the idea or examining uh, the idea of what the Proverbs say about parenting. There's no greater institution, church, listen to me clearly, there's no greater institution for sowing wisdom into the lives of others than the institution of the family. It is not the church on a Sunday morning, although that is a wonderful thing. Uh, It is great to be together as God's people, and we ought to be this, but uh, the family is the boots on the ground for everything wisdom, everything teaching at home, and this is why it's so important that we are to train up our children in the way they should go. I've shared this before, but uh, when your kids come to church and they're here for a whopping hour and a half on a Sunday, we have them for like 0.07% of the time. That is not enough to make your children uh, walk in the ways of the Lord. That's enough time to reinforce the truth that hopefully you are communicating at home, but it is definitely not the, um, the primary focus. That is the job of the parent. This is uh, the family structure is not to put out single moms or single dads, by the way. Um, This is just food for thought, but Paul's son in the faith, Timothy, he was raised according to the scripture. He was brought up, he was taught, he was instructed by his mom and his grandma. That's all that we have the word of. We do know that Timothy had a father, that he was Greek. (laughs) That's it, right? That's... I guess that's all you needed to know about Timothy's dad. But anyway, so what a dirtbag. Anyway, so, but, but what we do know is that he was brought up by his mom and his grandma, Lois and Eunice. And so that was a, that was a big deal. And, and Timothy becomes very wise, and he becomes the first pastor of the church in Ephesus. If you, didn't, uh, if you don't have children, though, uh, this subject should still be important to you. I believe strongly that most of the problems that we're facing in our world today, uh, in the culture today, are rooted in the fact that parents uh, either ignore or are ignorant of the principles of the Scripture that they're supposed to be teaching to their children. In turn, children go untaught, and uh, as a result, the next generation becomes void of wisdom. This is a fact. If we believe that God's word is wisdom, we believe that we're supposed to teach it to our children, and we don't teach it to our children, what happens? Well, we're, we're robbing the next generation of wisdom. I'd like you to keep something, though, in mind as we go into today. At the end of today's message, uh, you may find that you disagree with some of the things that I'm going to share with you. Uh, and honestly, that's okay. It's okay. I know. Heaven forbid you hear this from me. It's okay to disagree with Nathan. 
I won't, I won't like you anymore, but it's okay to disagree with me. It really is okay. I'm not going to go popping off with some passive-aggressive comment that says, if you reject what I say, you reject the Bible, right? Um, especially when it comes to parenting, because this is a big issue, right? We're all smart enough to reason together uh, and, and to discuss these matters. That doesn't mean that everybody's opinion is right. Can you guys say this with me? I'm not always right. I'm not always right. Now look at your spouse and say the same thing. I'm not. Anyway, okay. I did not say to look at your spouse and say you are not always right, Bettina. Jeez, Louise. So anyway, I'm not always right. This is absolutely the case. But even though, even though we have different opinions... Um, there needs to be grace in all of this because these are complicated matters when it comes to uh, how to parent our, ki- our children. So I hope that you'll all have grace with me. I'll have grace with you. If you do find that you disagree with me, I'd love to hear from you. I would appreciate it if you'd reach out to me in a, you know, just have a conversation with me over email. Um, I would ask one thing before you go send in an email, okay? It, in case you're a Karen. I said that for my sister-in-law, Karen. So anyway, in case, in case you're a Karen, I would ask one thing, and that is to give the words that I share today more consideration than just a single hearing. Um, I hope that you'll listen to the messages that you hear repeatedly over the next week or so. I, I hope that you'll do this with all of the messages that I share. I have never met an individual who could process or retain any information any information uh, in a message thoroughly one time through. I've never met that person, and I've met all you, so that's you too, right? Uh, Today's church has access to countless books and sermons and blog posts about every subject imaginable, and we don't seem to be able to comprehend the information we consume. We are over-sermonized. We don't need to ignore sermons but we are over-sermonized. We have a lot of information to consume. We are a quantity over quality generation. This is a truth. We are a quantity over quality generation. And the problem with this, especially when it comes to sermons, when it comes to teaching in the church, is that we listen a whole, uh, to a whole lot of messages, but we don't listen to a whole lot of the message we're listening to. Right? We just kind of consume it, and we move on with all of this. And so we, we forget most of what we, what we take in. So as we get started today, I'm going to give us a rough outline. Hopefully this will keep you on track, keep me on track. Um, and then we'll dive deeper into each specific line item. The first point that I want to talk to you about is the objective in parenting. How many of you want to know what the purpose of this whole thing is? What is the objective of parenting? So we're going to look at the objective of parenting. We're going to look at the point of the task. We're going to look at what God says we're doing and why he says we're doing it. Second, we're going to move to learning how to prepare the hearts of children for proper parenting. That is something that you have to do. This section will be all about casting a biblical vision uh, for what we're doing. Whether you know it or not, there are things that we must do to prepare our children's hearts to receive instruction, right? So just so you guys know, I'm not even to the slides yet. So, um, so we, we have to prepare our, our children's hearts to receive things. Third, we're going to look at the curriculum. We should, uh, we should be using this curriculum. Every one of us should be. Spoiler alert, the curriculum is, our curriculum is, and always will be the Word of God. This doesn't mean that we refuse sound advice from others. It simply means that we filter all things through what God has to say. Uh, In week one of this series, I shared with you that uh, uh, wisdom literature is compiled largely. And that brought up some important ideas about where we get the sayings that we use. For example, just two weeks ago, I shared with you a statement from Aristotle that came a couple hundred years before Christ that effectively said, no greater love has anyone than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Did Jesus copy Aristotle a couple hundred years later? The answer is, of course not. Aristotle is discovering gravity, right? He's discovering wisdom. Jesus is the author of it. We understand that. But it's really important that we, we Uh, grab the wisdom that we can from anybody and everybody that shares it. We should always filter that wisdom through God's word, but we should grab that wisdom anywhere and everywhere. 
The scripture talks about earthly wisdom. It talks about things that are not heavenly but earthly. It talks about things that can also be demonic, wisdom that's demonic. But the, the, the scripture writer, James, in that case, James is not a Gnostic. He doesn't believe that everything of this earth is evil, right? He, he's not that way. He actually is just simply showing us that there are many demonic things. There are many problematic things. But there are good things. And we should see those, observe those, if, and make sure we can find them in the text of God's Word. My watch is telling me that I need to get up and take a run right now. So uh, I'm not, I'm not going to do that right now. So anyway, uh, fourth thing, we're going to explore biblical methods of discipline in parenting. And this is the section that's going to irritate somebody and get me an email. I'm sure of it. Uh, this is a subject that is very touchy. Uh, for most people. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about reproof, which is verbal correction, and we're also going to talk about the rod of discipline, which is a biblical case for corporal punishment, a biblical case for uh, swatting your kids, which maybe some of you should have done more. (laughs) Anyway, okay, lastly, we're going to wrap it all up by looking at the results of sound parenting. What does parenting done well mean for us as parents? There is a result for us as well, and naturally following that, what does parenting done poorly mean? Okay? Okay, let me stop for a second. Good morning. Are you, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> just, I'm just making sure. Okay, so the objective of parenting. As we read in Psalm 127, God is the builder of any righteous house. Can I get an amen? God is the builder of any righteous house. He is also the guard of any city that's submitted to him. Amen? God is the guard of any city. This does not imply that we cannot try that on our own, to build on our own or to guard on our own. And it doesn't mean that we don't play an integral part in God's work. Solomon clearly declared that we can and sometimes do build in vain. How many of you have done that? You try to do something, you know that it's not God's plan, it's not God's will, and it's a mess, okay? But notice also that even though God is the builder, there are still laborers, and even though God is the guard, there are still watchmen. You see, this idea that God is somehow uh, puppeteering everything behind the scenes is just simply not what the Bible says. What we're dealing with is whether or not God establishes a thing, and then whether or not our work is fruitful or whether or not our work is in vain. So what does all of this mean in Psalm 127? It means that what Solomon is communicating is that God is the one who establishes any and every good thing. The word for builds in Psalm 127 actually means procreate. Isn't that cool? God is actually birthing something or God is the one begetting things. When we operate according to God's plan, all good things are established and they are established by God and glory goes to God. It's not our doing. We didn't build the church. Did you know that? People didn't build the church. Do we still work? Yes, of course we do. Uh, uh, God is the one who ministers to people's hearts. Does he still use preachers? Darn it. Yes, he does, right? <laughs> right? He, he does this. There is this amazing uh, work that God is doing with us. This is the true biblical understanding of faith and works being married together. There is no separation, no matter what people like to think. If you are going to uh, have faith, it will necessarily follow uh, that works come. Can I get an amen on that one? I think we need to really embrace this again because we've kind of missed the point. Concerning parenting, we are working for and with our God and King. I love the fact that we get to work with him. We get to co-labor with God himself. Uh, This the same as a husband and wife work together in having a child. In the garden, God established Adam and Eve as the first builders and the first watchmen. That's what he, he made them to do. This required them to work and to do their part. Do you notice that God makes a world that needs to be subdued? Why doesn't he just do it? Because he's teaching us. He's training us in everything that we're doing. Um, so Adam and Eve are required to work. They're required to do their part. Of course, they don't do that very well. Uh, and quite honestly, neither do most of us. Come on. 
Come on. <laughs> I'm going to turn. I got I to do some Pentecostal things around here. Anyway, so as image bearers, uh, they, were, they were tasked with ruling and reigning. I've said this so many times, right? Over all of God's creation. Subdue what goes beyond the garden. There was a garden that represented a temple where God would dwell, and then there was the whole world that needed to be subdued, and they had a responsibility to do this. They were to be fruitful and multiply, and that was how they were going to expand to the whole world. Again, God causes the increase in all of these matters, but we are, uh, we are clearly to perform our part. They were, uh, they were to be servants of the master. That's what it means to uh, submit to King Jesus. Uh, there's so much more that I can say about this, and I would love to spend time on the watchman piece, uh, as, as the truth is that God made a royal priesthood from the beginning. God made a garden, which is, scholars know this has everything to do with temple language. God made a garden. A temple is where a deity dwelt. God was dwelling with his people, and we, uh, as his priesthood, were commissioned with the responsibility of taking his image, his glory, out into the world and subduing it. That's what we mess up. That's what we messed up. And that, honestly, is what we mess up now. That's why we have to keep listening to God and coming back to the image we bear. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's, right? You, don't worry about the matters of this life specifically, but what you need to do is realize you have a responsibility to be an image bearer. You have a responsibility to be a priest. I don't have the time to go into that as much as I want to. So I do hope, though, that you see Psalm 127 in context has everything to do with the objective of parenting. Ruling and reigning is a multi-generational effort. Ruling and reigning is a multi-generational effort, and that's what happens through our kids. With every set of parents, there are arrows that are given to carry out God's work. Can I get an amen on that one? There are arrows. Those are your children. Each one is to be taught what it means to labor correctly and what it means to labor in vain. What it means to walk by faith and what it means to walk by the flesh because we don't want them to do this. They are to be taught what it means to trust God with their whole heart versus what it means to learn uh, lean to their own understanding, which is what we have the habit of doing. Um, the objective of being image bearers, again, is to walk by faith in God because he's the one who establishes everything. Pay close attention to, the, to that final verse of Psalm 127, though. It'll be on the screen. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full. I want to just take a time out and talk to you about this. This has nothing to do with a biblical number of how many kids you should have. Did you know that? It's really, really important. You don't need to look like the Duggards or the Priors, <laughs> for that matter. Um, they're getting close, right? They're getting close. We're trying, we're trying to go there. I love, I love it, though, right? I, would, I honestly would have more kids if that was possible. But the idea is that a quiver full of children has to do, has to do with uh, a father or a mother who has faithful children that can shoot straight into a world in need. Whether you have one child or whether you have 25 children, here is the important lesson that we have to learn about what the Bible says. Your responsibility is to train them in the way they should go. If you have one and you fail at that, your quiver isn't full. If you have 25 children and you can't manage them to follow after King Jesus, your quiver isn't full. Not at least, it's at least not full with arrows. <laughs> Lots of broken sticks, but not arrows, okay? And so it's really, really vital that we understand that what the scripture is communicating is to have faithful children. So for some of you, you might look around and go, man, I wish I would have had more kids. It's okay for you to not have more kids. That doesn't make you godly. Are your kids godly? That's the better question in all of this, okay? And so I have four little girls, and I plan to shoot them with a catapult into the world, okay? Um, hopefully they land well. But the point is, is that I want them to be faithful followers of God. That's the responsibility. So it says, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full 
of them, children, uh, of children. They, that could refer to the antecedent of they there could be parents or children. But here's where it gets really important. They, whether parents or children, will not be ashamed when they, this refers to the children, speak with their enemies in the gate. This is really awesome. If you're doing your job, your children are not going to be ashamed when they take on life's issues. What has happened within, uh, it, within this verse? The parents have trained their children, and consequently, the children are able to contend with their enemy in the real world. This is godliness. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We can see that uh, the objective of parenting is both spiritual and physical then. There's a spiritual component, train them up in the way they should go, physical component, that they'll do it, that they'll go into the world and be faithful followers of God. It is to train up image bearers to do the work of the king, to rule and to reign, to subdue the world that God has given us. It is to engage with the principalities and the powers of this dark world. That's what our kids are here for, physical and spiritual warfare across the board. Of course, this requires knowing our starting point, and this is something that frustrates some people too. Uh, this will give us a practical objective when it comes to parenting, uh, a, a better practical objective. We are raising image bearers, but how do we get there? You have to assess the material you're dealing with. All little children are little lumps of clay, right? Little lumps of clay. And what does the Bible say about those precious little lumps of clay? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's true, and you know it, especially at Christmas time when somebody doesn't get what they want for Christmas. Romans 5.12 says, through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned, right? This isn't saying all so far have sinned. All, all have sinned, right? All sinned. This means that that little bundle of joy that you brought home from the hospital, as cute as he or she is, uh, or was, is a sinner, right? Oh, I love these little sinners. They're so cute. Anyway, so they're sinners. And as we've already learned previously, sin and foolishness are deeply connected. So what's the, what's the practical application or what's the practical outplay of parenting? To drive out foolishness and sin from the hearts of our children. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him or her, 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 and her. All four of mine, right? So Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. The practical objective of parenting is to train up image bearers by a process of refinement. A process of refinement. This process is indeed driving out the foolishness and replacing it with the wisdom of God. We're supposed to be imparting in them the truth of God's word. This is why Solomon said this at the outset of Proverbs. Check it out. It's on the screen. To know wisdom. Here's the purpose of Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning when they hear a proverb. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel when they hear a proverb. To understand a proverb and a figure. The proverbs actually help us to discern what is true wisdom in the world, right? We've talked about this. The words of the wise and their riddles. Because there are people in the world who are wise and their sayings are riddles, and we've got to discern that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So all of that is the purpose of Proverbs. And look at what Solomon does in the very next verse. He says, hear my son your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. What's the purpose of parenting? To get you into wisdom. That's what we have to embrace church. That's what we have to embrace as parents. We are instilling wisdom into image bearers. That's what we're supposed to do. So teaching, uh, training teachable children is the next piece that I want to turn to. We've all heard the scriptures that say one person plants while another one waters, but God causes the growth. How many of you know that's true? Unless God establishes a thing, it doesn't work. Okay? We're still planting, we're still watering. God is the one who causes the growth. All of that's true. And it's similar to Psalm 127. 
But to avoid rocky and thorny soil during a planting process, what are, we, what are we to do? If we were just talking about regular earth, regular ground, we'd have to till up the ground, wouldn't we? Right? Same thing has to be done in the parenting process. We have the same job. We have to till up the soil. We do this by casting a vision for our children, allowing them to see what we're doing is tremendously important. Our kids need to see what it is we're aiming at. We need to allow them to see why we're doing what we're doing. That means we need to allow our children to ask questions and not be offended at those questions. We've got to listen to what they say. We've got to take the time to be able to answer. How many of you know that uh, the need for answers is built into us at a very young age? This is why we're asking the question why all the time. For me personally, the first step in the process of preparing teachable children is to communicate with my children that I'm not barking commands at them simply so they'll stop being annoying. Although obedience does fix that, <laughs> right? Can I, can I get you guys to kind of break from your stoicism here for a second? Are your children ever annoying? Okay, thank you. It's a, I just, I'm just wondering, you guys are all like, you've had too much tryptophan, you're still asleep here. There's more men wearing sunglasses so they can fall asleep during my messages. Anyway, so, here, sorry, sorry. That's the way it goes, okay? So, obedience will remedy this, okay? Understand this. This is, this is so vital. That, that annoyance will go away. But I don't want my kids to think that. I don't want them to just think that I want them to stop being annoying. I want them to know that I'm not merely trying to make them good people either. What, Nathan? That is your aim. No, Jesus alone does that. That is not something that I can do. Instead, I begin by sharing the story of God with them. I'm able to communicate this beautiful story of what God is doing uh, in and through humanity. The Jewish people are deeply connected to their stories, and I think that this is why they're connected there. I want my daughters to know that what I teach is intended to help them reflect God into the world. Isn't that an important why behind this? Why should I obey you, Dad? Because I said so. Not a good enough answer. Why should I obey you, Dad? Because you reflect the image of our Creator God. You are an image bearer, Men and women, both created in the image of God, you are an image bearer, and this is important for you. Because of sin, the world is lost and dying, and it is in need of a Savior or Creator. And I want my girls to know that they are part of that saving process by communicating the gospel or by sharing the love of God with the world. Again, unless God builds the house, we will labor in vain. The scripture says, uh, even our good deeds are filthy rags to God. That is, unless God has declared us good. And then what we do is pleasing to our Father. Amen? So all of this, all of this is a part of this great vision that we're supposed to be casting. I want my kids, I want my daughters to first see God's faithfulness and then to understand their rightful response of faithfulness uh, to Him. Here are a few ideas, though, beyond the story uh, of image bearing that can help us train our children. Proverbs 3.12. I'm going to fire through a bunch of verses and offer some, uh, some commentary. Proverbs 3.12 says, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Tilling the ground starts with showing our children that God loves them and that we love them, even in our correction. If you are not communicating that kindness leads to repentance, if you are not communicating that God's love is what disciplines, if you are not communicating your love for your children when you correct them, you're missing a really important step. And you may actually embitter your children over the long haul. Remember, it's, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. It will be your kindness that um, provokes your child to return should they become a prodigal someday. Uh, God's love and faithfulness are vital in all of our vision. Uh, the, love of our, the love we have for our children is also something that has to be communicated. Proverbs 6.23 on the screen. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline 
uh, are a way of life. Our children need to understand that if they desire to see clearly in life, then correction and discipline are necessary. Right? Your child needs to be told no more than we tell them no, right? Proverbs 12, 1 uh, says it well. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. I want my kids to love knowledge. And then I want them to love discipline, not because of, not initially. The scripture's clear. Nobody loves it in the moment. But I want them to love discipline because of two things. They know that God loves them, and they know what it produces. Because discipline produces great things. The other half of 12.1 is my favorite verse, favorite part of the verse. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates reproof is stupid. I love that because the Bible says stupid. Anyway, sometimes the motivation of our children needs to be tangible, though, rather than just a spiritual concept or a theoretical concept. Proverbs 13.18 says this, Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. Now, this does not mean you play guilt trips with your kids, okay? This does not mean you look at little Johnny or little Susie and say, if you don't obey me, you're going to be poor, <laughs> okay? Like, that's not going to help anybody. It's, it's not. You're going to be a destitute little beggar if you don't listen to daddy. That's not going to help anything. What you need to do is make them realize why poverty comes with this. Because without discipline, there is no hard work in people, Right? They don't give their energy to a thing. They give their energy to fun and games and playing, but never the task, never the mission that God has us all on. So poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. No one is attracted to a vision uh, of poverty, shame, and dishonor. But the exact opposite sounds really, really good, right? A few more Proverbs, listen to this. Proverbs 15, 31 and 32. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself. Church, we live in a self-love culture. We're, we're told at every turn, the first thing that you need to do is learn to love yourself. And if you'll learn to love yourself, you can love other people better. Good. Let's just accept the stupidity of that statement right off the bat, okay? I'm just going to accept it on its face value. And I want you to understand this. If you truly love yourself, then you will not neglect discipline. Right? So love yourself, all you want to love yourself, okay? Don't neglect discipline. And the discipline you can't neglect is God's word. And when you don't neglect God's word as your discipline, you'll throw out this stupid idea that you need to love yourself first, <laughs> right? It's amazing how it comes back around because the truth is you and I love ourselves first. We love us a lot, right? That's why the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. Well, only those who actually have self-love nonsense. You all have self-love. We all have it. We are deeply uh, ingrained with this. We are selfish. Nobody wants to amen that one. What's the deal? Bill, can I get an amen? Amen. That's what I'm talking about. I love Bill. Anyway, okay, so, so the idea here is that if you neglect discipline, you actually despise yourself. So fine, love yourself. Do what God says. Uh, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. How many of you want to know more? Grow more. Understand more. Have more wisdom. Good. Don't despise. Don't despise reproof. Proverbs 16.22. Understanding is a fountain of life to the one who has it, but the discipline of fools is folly. So what are we communicating to our kids? You want life and life abundantly? Do it God's way. Very important. Proverbs 19.27. Cease listening, my son, to discipline. And you will stray from the words of knowledge. When you're talking to your kids and you say, why aren't you listening to me? I say this every day. Why aren't you listening to me? Here's, here's what it should come with. It shouldn't come with a backhand. It shouldn't come with frustration. It should come with this statement. If you don't listen to me, trust me when I say, if you don't listen to me, you will neglect things later. You will, you will, as this says, if you cease from listening to me, you will stray from other words of knowledge. Listen to me because it goes well for you. That should be our correction of our kids. Proverbs 23, 24, and 25. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. We should adopt siring children again. I think that's an amazing word. But it says, let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Let your father and mother be glad. This final motivation 
really is amazing, church. Whether you know it or not, your children do want to make you glad. My children want to please me. Uh, Joe came in the office today, and she brought me a chocolate donut. And she said, this one has sugar all over it. This one's yours, right? I love it. My daughters want to please. I don't know what that is. But anyway, she, she wants to please, right? She wants to give me good things. She wants me to be glad with her. So what am I supposed to do in order to ensure that that happens over the long haul? Train her well. Train her well. She will be glad. She, she will be glad. She'll make me glad in the best sense, far, uh, far and above a chocolate donut. Show them how to make you glad, though, church. Show them how. After all the sports games are done, after all the report cards are filed away and collecting dust, right, the integrity of your children is what will remain. Teach them well, and you will rejoice. Teach them that this integrity is the most important thing, and they will actually strive to honor you with it. They will, every day of their life. So the curriculum I'm running way behind, but I'm going to get there. At the beginning of this series, we talked about proverbial wisdom, and I pointed out that the Proverbs were authored by many different writers or contributors. Um, In the beginning of the book of Proverbs, Solomon says to heed his mother's, for the son to heed his mother's instruction. We have no idea whether or not that mother's instruction landed in the pages of Scripture, but whatever it is, that's part of the curriculum. Solomon said, listen to your mom. Listen to your father. This is part of the curriculum. Now, this requires an addendum, though, and that is that any wisdom we get from the outside must be filtered through God's word. That's how we gauge it. That's how we know whether or not something's good or bad. And so so you should listen to the advice and to the wisdom of those around you. That's a part of curriculum in so much as that it's submitted to God's word. The word of God is very clear. We are to train up our children in the way they should go. Proverbs 22, 6. Jesus teaches us what that way is. He teaches us that he alone is that way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Where do we learn that Jesus is the way? We learn it in the scriptures. So it's convenient that the Bible tells us through Paul and Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. What reproves your children? The word of God. What's your curriculum? The word of God. You're always going to be teaching them from this book. It's amazing. It's worth noting, though, that Paul also makes us aware that we were made, God's workmanship, uh, made or created in Christ Jesus for good works. Isn't that amazing? We were created for good works. But look at when we were created for good works. Number one, in Jesus, that's a salvation issue, but which we were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Do you want to know when that beforehand was? Before the foundation of the world. The good work that Paul, or the good works, plural, that Paul is referring to happens to be the ruling and reigning that we were designed for in the beginning. That is the vision that God had for us. That is what he prepared for us. It's not just helping little old ladies across the street, but you should do that, right? It is about really subduing the world the way God planned for us to do. One final note about curriculum, uh, and this is uh, about parents. In so much as that their wisdom is biblical, uh, it needs to be heeded. Listen to me. It needs to be heeded um, even when you grow up and move out of their house. Mark Ryan, Jr. Okay. It needs to be heeded even when you grow up. Look at what Proverbs 23, 22 says. Listen to this. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Maybe obey your parents in the Lord or uh, children obey your parents goes away when you leave the house. But heeding their wisdom, listening to their advice, not, uh, not neglecting them or overruling them doesn't ever end. Especially not when your parents love you and want you to see what God uh, wants for you. Okay, this is, these are really important pieces. Okay, method. What are the biblical methods of discipline in parenting? Prepare yourselves. I told you it was going to irritate you. Deal with it. Okay, elephant in the room is the rod of discipline. Anybody got a rod? 
I'm going to just give you an example of what this looks like right now. No, I'm not. Anyway, okay, so the rod of discipline. You guys are just bumps on logs today. I need you to, I need you to at least pity me in my bad humor, okay? So the, the Bible is emphatically clear that this is an effective method of discipline, no matter what you think. I know. No, Nathan, you're a jerk. <laughs> okay, I, just consider what I'm saying, okay? The Bible communicates that using the rod for wisdom and reproof is an effective mes- method of disciplining but it requires a right understanding. And that's where I think everybody falls short of this. Proverbs 10.13 says this, On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Powerful statement, right? It's for the back, so maybe we should use the back instead of the butt. I don't know. Anyway, the mention of the rod, though, in all of this, uh, these Proverbs is about discipline. But it is undeniable that it is a physical tool and not merely a metaphor. A metaphor is not for the back of anybody. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? Right? We can talk about the rod of discipline being a metaphor and simply saying it's just about discipline. Make sure you discipline. And I'm for that. Absolutely. But the Bible is clear. A, a metaphor isn't for a back. A rod is for the back of a child. A rod is for the backside of a child, okay? So make sure you see it. You can't wiggle out of these things. Likewise, Proverbs 14.3 says, In the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back. There's that physical reality of it. But the lips of the wise will protect them. You want to know what that says in modern translation? Here's a modern translation of that. A fool gets himself a whooping because he doesn't know when to shut up. That's the modern translation of that. But the lips of the wise know when to hold their tongue. The use of the rod is still clear. The use of the rod is still a corrective. Again, Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. Make sure you don't try to hurt your child. Right, but, but listen to what it is saying. It, it's not, your child is not going to die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. You don't have to rescue uh, or reassure a parent that their child won't die if you're simply using a metaphor. Right? Do you get where I'm going with this? Please track with me here. It's not just a daggone metaphor. There's something here. But there is a shift in our thinking that has to occur when we talk about the rod of discipline. And I want you to see what this is. Because I want, and, and how you see it is how it goes wrong. Proverbs 13.24 says, He who withholds his rod hates his child. Wow. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. First, the rod is loving, whether we agree with its usage or not. Not only is it loving, it's to be diligently used or employed. And the reason for this is that we are moving our children from foolishness to wisdom. We are moving our children from wrong to right, from pride to humility. And guess what? Children are stubborn. So are grown people. I think maybe we should just bring back the rod across the board, right? But the idea is that it is, it is for love's purpose. And that's, uh, that's something that we can't forget. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. What's the answer to that? The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. The rod is loving and the rod works. But here's where it turns. Here's where it turns. There's a passage, Proverbs 29, 15, and a segment of that passage that is overlooked in every commentary I've read, overlooked in every parenting book that I've read. Listen to what it says. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Do you notice, do you notice a very important word in that? It's the word and. It doesn't say or. Or. It says that the rod and reproof, these are two different things. The rod and reproof give wisdom. What we do, though, is we separate them. This is a both and, and we do an either or. 
If we use one and not the other, we will run into problems, I assure you. You can disagree with me, that's fine. I'd love to have that conversation with you. But we will run into problems. The problems are these. We either create resentment in our children. That's what happens when you use the rod and you never reprove them, right? You beat your children and never talk to your children. You're wrong. I don't know what you're doing, but you need to stop that, okay? The other side of that is when we give reproof, okay? We reprove our children, but we never actually correct them. This actually births in them apathy, okay? Because they hear mom and dad nag them all day long. Stop that, stop that, stop that, stop that, stop that, stop that, stop that. Nobody cares anymore, okay? You are just like the mom or the teacher on... uh, on peanuts, right? Wah, wah, wah. That's all that ever gets heard anymore. We have to have both. It is reproof and the rod. Our aim as parents should be repentance. That's a turning, right? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is not the way we want to walk. We want to walk in humility. We want to walk in uh, godliness. So we have to turn our children. Reproof and the rod turn our children from those things, okay? And so that's called repentance. What we don't want is resentment, and we sure don't want apathy in our children. Many, many children are going to grow up to be adults, and they don't care about right or wrong. Look at our culture. It's a fact. I don't even have to make a case for it. Turn on the news, right? Or many kids are just apathetic to everything. Eh, Whatever, doesn't doesn't really matter. Or you have kids that are bitter towards their parents because all they ever did was beat them. This is not helpful. None of this is good. We have to get all of it together if we're actually going to understand this concept. I want my daughters to... Even though they won't like discipline in the moment, I want my daughters to turn around at some point and say, but I know my dad loves me. I know he cares for me. I know he was willing to do whatever it took so that I might be a good image bearer. Okay? That's what I want. Which means, yes, I'm on record. I swap my kids and I reprove my kids. And if I ever am doing one or the other, I'm not really understanding what that plainly said. It is the rod and reproof which builds wisdom. Okay, results in parenting, and we'll get through this, uh, last, this last section quickly. The, first, the final section is different. Uh, this uh, results of parenting is different than the objective section because it actually has to do with the pros and cons for parents, the benefits of parenting done well and the ramifications of parenting done poorly. Uh, I'll fire through these Proverbs quickly. Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. How many of you want to be glad? Then discipline your children. That's what we're called to do. Uh, Both the pros and cons are listed in this, but we have to understand, we want to see gladness and it comes through discipline. Likewise, Proverbs 15.20 says, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. There's a distinction here from the previous verse. Don't miss it. Uh, And that is, in the first one, it's all about children. This one has to do with what happens when a child becomes fully grown. Notice it says that the foolish man despises his mother. If you do not discipline your children, your children will grow up to be adults who despise you. And let me tell you how they might despise you. They might despise you by looking at you and saying, my parent didn't care enough to do anything right for me. Be careful. Being despised comes in many forms. Sometimes our kids know what is better or what is right, and then they judge us on our poor performance when we were younger, when they were younger. Your children might despise you and say, my parent didn't do it right. They let me get away with a lot of things. I am a result of poor discipline. Listen, that's the way our kids can, dis- uh, can uh, disapprove of us or despise us. Okay, um, Proverbs 17, 21 and 25. He who sires a fool does so in his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her uh, who bore him. So that sounds awful, doesn't it? Bitterness and sorrow and 
no joy. Listen to the opposite of that, the positive side of that. Proverbs 23, 24, and 25. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. You want the second instead of the first? Discipline your kids. Do it God's way. Follow his curriculum. Do it all the way God wants, wants you to do it. So as I said earlier, in the end, after all of the sports games are done, after all the uh, report cards, college, elementary, everything that you have are filed away, again, the integrity, the righteousness, the godliness of your children is the only thing that remains. This is what makes them a quality arrow to be shot into the world. The ability that they have to reflect God, to reflect God faithfully into their world is, uh, is your job in parenting. Teaching them well leads to rejoicing. Teaching them uh, that integrity is the most important thing will also lead them to honoring you and not despising you. The purpose of parenting, final thoughts, the purpose of parenting is to mold and shape image bearers. The vision that we cast must be God's vision, not our personal vision. The curriculum we use is God's word even when we disagree with it. Gulp. Even when we disagree with it. Um, the method of training we employ includes both the rod and reproof if it's seen this way. And finally, the fruit we harvest will include joy, honor, and peace as parents. So I think that's where we need to be aiming with being a parent. So let's go back to where we started in all of this. Psalm 127, 1 through 5. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless God is the one who tells you and instructs you on how to build your family, you're laboring in vain. This is true in everything. The next verse. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. The guard of our hearts is the truth of God's word. It will protect us if we will live by it and we will heed it. God is the one who is going to watch over us and protect us as long as we're not doing this in vain. Train up a child in the way they should go and in the end they won't depart. It is, a vain, it is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. If we will give our hearts to God's system, even when we're sleeping, God's working this stuff out. But we can employ every goofy child-rearing book that we can think of. And if it has nothing to do with godly principles, we are laboring in vain. We're working real hard. And what happens is you just get frustrated, don't you? You read one book, you go, that didn't work. You read another book, that didn't work. You read another, that didn't work. You go to God's word as hard as it can be at times. And in 30 years, you're going to say, dang, that worked. It's amazing how God does that inside of our life. So the scripture goes on. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. Can I get an amen? The fruit of the womb is a reward. Can I get an amen? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak to their enemies in the gate. All I want for my girls is to know who God is, to submit to King Jesus, and then to be fearless in this world. To be fearless in this world. That result, that result is contingent on me doing something not in vain, but according to God's word. I gotta submit. I hope you're willing to do that too. So I, I don't know if this has been encouraging for you. Some of you are uh, beyond those, those years and those days of parenting, and maybe you're thinking... Well, I screwed all that up. It's okay. God is a redeemer of time. He is a redeemer of time. Maybe you're in the thick of it and you say, Nathan, I'm doing mighty fine and I don't need your instruction. Fine. I'd still love to have a conversation with you. And maybe some of you are going, I've realized that this is really hard and I've not been doing it right and I'm going to try to employ that. I really want to hear from you because I want to hear how I can help or how we can help as a church, how we can try to move together as parents. I've been doing this now for a whopping eight years. I'm hardly any kind of expert, okay? I can't figure it out this way or that way, but I want to do it well. 
and I need all the help that I can get that is God's help. 